The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this episode, what more can I do? Let me clarify the title because it's from a place of peace and abundance, not from an exasperated place of, you know, hey, what more can I do? It's brought to us from a place of care and love and to use the word again, abundance. I mean, wouldn't you like to be at a place of wholeness and gratitude where you can readily and eagerly ask, hey, what more can I do? Well, John O'Leary is not just back for the habits show. This is in many ways a part two from our initial conversation in episode 815, where we discussed the childlike qualities John shares in his new book, in awe, rediscover your childlike wonder to unleash inspiration, meaning, and joy. Well, this is my habits episode with John, and he shares his gratitude and joy in asking, again, just that question, what more can I do? And you'll be inspired to hear it. Please give yourself a chance to, to hear how he puts it. This is not a burden. It is a joy. I also take us into an issue that I think is going to be of interest to a lot of you. It's something deep. I think many of you are going to resonate with, and it's going to be relevant for At age nine, John was horrifically burned and had third degree burns on more than 87% of his body. After examining him, a doctor bluntly told his parents, this was after he'd recovered for a while and was looking at kind of getting back into life. And this doctor said, if John were a horse, I'd shoot him. John was sitting right there. I mean, can you imagine being given this prognosis and devaluation of your life? But what you want to hear is what happened in John's story. Uh, it's in this episode, you'll hear his response to what happened in that exact story. You can get John's new book, In Awe, Rediscovering Your Childlike Wonder to Unleash Inspiration, Meaning, and Joy, wherever you buy books. And you can connect with John and all he has for you at johnolearyinspires.com. So I'm going to have John ready for you right after I share what else we've got going on for you and some great products and services. All right, John. Well, today I thought let's start off the habits. I want to know what habits you have partaken of today. What are, what are the routines, habits that today has happened? Well, it's funny. One of the things that you and I both share is this idea of starting our days early, starting the days with both water and coffee. So that's yeah. part of the habit that you and I share. Another one that has been beneficial to not only this day, but in the days leading into this day is getting up early, man. I have four kids, I'm married, have a busy life. And I find if I don't force myself out of bed, I just respond to the rest of the day, whether that's emails or phone calls or beeps or whatever the thing is, I'm being drawn by it rather than actively leading it. And so each day I'm up, up about 5.30 or so, up a little before the sun, get outside with a cup of coffee, a water, a journal. I watch the sunrise, I listen to the birds sing, and it's my moment of the day to to listen, to take inventory of what I'm grateful for, to pray, and to reflect not only on what I already have, but what I want to get done that day. All right. I'm going to dig in right there. First off, what is your coffee style? So Beth and I use a drip coffee now, and so nothing that impressive. Whatever she brings home from the store, I make it. It sits there for a couple hours at about 10 o'clock or so in the day. We, we dump whatever remains out. Yeah. So the coffee style is whatever my sweet wife brings home from the store, okay. but it's, it's a drip coffee. So not a coffee snob. I'll, uh, that's, all, that's all right. At least you partake. 
of the beverage. Man. And I, I know enough to know when something tastes better than what I'm used to making. And that's yeah. common when I'm on the road <laughs> yeah. or when I'm at a friend's house. But at home, beggars can't be choosers, man. I'm grateful for the gift of caffeine. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy enjoying my coffee, though I'll, I'll have to admit to some snobbery. Uh, early, getting up early. So how... When did you start that? Because I, I didn't. I mean, it is. It's something I hold on to dearly now, but it was uh, not the majority. It wasn't. I don't know exactly. I'm going to guess, I don't know, seven years maybe. I'd have to go back and try to figure it out. But I didn't. I, I woke, you know, I slept as long as I could, get up and then start dealing with everything. And so I, it was a big change for me. What about you? Absolutely. And naturally, man, I'm innately lazy. I'm lethargic. I, uh, I love to be open to the day, whatever the day has in store. You find, though, that people who are, you know, people who are most athletic, people who are most in great shape, they, they diet and they go to the gym and you're like, huh, that's weird. They all seem to do that. Well, in the same vein, people who are highly effective leaders tend to start their days early. They tend to get up early. And so that's not my habit. Naturally, my habit is to get up when I finally yawn, hopefully on a Saturday before the banks close, man. That's the good old days. If I can get to the bank before it's closed, I'm <laughs> high fiving myself. If I can have breakfast from McDonald's before they shut that thing down at 11, I win the day. Yeah, that was the old me. But in taking notes of people who lead their businesses, their families, their faith, they're, um, they're concerned about their physical health and making a difference in the community, all of them, for the most part, almost all of them have in common this desire to drive the day. They get up before they have to. Well, it, it, I, I got to admit, I mean, I, I don't know if I I mean, now I do. I enjoy getting up then. But it was mainly just because of the kids schedules. If I'm going to like you said, if I'm going to have that time in the morning to center myself, to set myself, I've got to get up early because, you know, school schedules or even just little kids, either one. And now I've gotten in the habit, but yeah, it's still, if I don't take that, it's just too easy for other things to jump in. So I've had Hal, Hal Elrod on the show, Miracle Morning, uh, Raman Sharma, the, the 5 a.m. talking about that. And it is interesting when you, I haven't, I haven't thought about this till now, when you look at habits, I mean, how many times do people write an entire book devoted to a specific habit? Hmm. I'm trying to think of one. I mean, sleep, I guess those, you know, there's some books out now on sleep, but I don't have one on, you know, somebody wrote a book on pushups or uh, even devotions or you mentioned journaling. I mean, we all talk about, it. I don't know if, so for early to have a focus like that says a lot to me. Now you did mention journaling, which we talk about a lot. So many people as well testify to that, but I found out that people journal very differently. What is your methodology or content that you journal? So it's similar to what I speak on frequently. So when I guide an organization through our motivational message, frequently I'll use three questions to help them to become more highly effective as individuals and as organizations. And the three questions are why me, who cares, and what more can I do? Why me? And the idea is to begin your day before you need to. So if you are the kind who uh, is racing after your day just to get out the door on time or get the kids to the bus or whatever it might be, well, then maybe it's time to set our alarms 10, 15, 20, 30, one hour early. And I can think of no better way than to ask the question, why me? Kevin, I, I love sunrises, I've, sunsets. I've known that about myself for as long as I've, I've been aware, man. Since I was a little boy, I love sunsets. 
But there's something about a sunrise. There's something about the whole world being dark, everything, and quiet. And there's a few birds up. There's maybe a couple joggers or walkers up. But for the most part, man, it's quiet. And you get to sit there in your backyard, patio, screen porch, wherever it might be, look to the east. And then eventually, man, you watch the sky turn from dark to gray. And then there's this little shimmer of light and it starts cutting through the darkness, bringing light into the day. And for you to have a journal in front of you and to be taking inventory of how good life is, that doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean you're always healthy. It doesn't mean you're completely financial stable right now. It doesn't mean business is going perfectly right now or your relationships are gangbuster always. It, it just means you're going to begin your day in a place of gratitude. And it is the most critical place to begin that day. So I begin every day outside with that question in front of me, why me? Well, so let me ask, you said a couple things there. So when we talk about journaling, you mentioned gratitude, but what I find is people often kind of a basic way to start journaling is just to give a history. Gosh, yes, this is what happened yesterday, which I think is great to take into account and conceptualize what actually did happen, you know, the day before or whatnot. So that, that's good. But then you talked about gratitude. A lot of people, you know, talk, uh, testify to that. I'm going to write down things that I'm grateful for. Uh, then there's plans, plans, you know, of this is what I want to accomplish today. And then the fourth area that I see, and I'm just making this up right now, but as you were talking, I, I was thinking about it. Yeah, the other one then is kind of ideas, thoughts, feelings. I'm going to put those in one category, ideas, thoughts, feelings. Uh, so where would you say, do you do some of all of those? Do you gravitate more to one primary category? So the answer is yes, but not in exactly the linear fashion you might think. So the, the, more, the morning is just about centering and prayer and gratitude and reflection and making sure that I'm breathing and like really recognizing the gift that this life is. If you read the headlines, you're con convinced that there's no reason for hope. But if you can just go outside and look out the window or, or look toward the east, gosh, there sure seems like a lot of reason for hope. Yeah. So I, I do start there. Then to answer the, the original question you just asked, my ideas, my dreams, my inventory of the day, that's at the end of the day when I ask the question, what more can I do? And I have a journal right next to my toothbrush with the question on top. The question is, what more can I do? And for me, that's a question I learned. And you and I recorded a whole podcast 150 episodes ago on this one, the, the Jack Buck story. This announcer who showed up in my life when I was nine years old and burned and dying. And he walks in, he sees that there's no reason for hope in this little boy's future. And rather than just giving up on this kid after visiting me one time, he's told by the staff, John's going to die. But he went home that night and he asked a question. And the question Jack asked 33 years ago was, what more can I do? What more can I do? And in answering that question, he became a Hall of Fame announcer. In answering that question, he received a couple Purple Hearts. He raised eight healthy kids. He did a whole lot of great things in his life. But in answering that question that night on January 18th, 1987, he comes back the following day and he visits John O'Leary. And then he does it again the following day. And we begin this relationship together, this relationship built toward hope, this idea of John O'Leary Day at the ballpark. And so he taught me that question three and a half decades ago. It changed his life. And as a little boy, I observed this and I wanted to do likewise growing up. And, and you and I recorded another podcast somewhat recently around a, a journal I kept for my wife. Yeah. Why would you do a journal entry for your wife every single day? Where did that idea come from? Well, for me, for me, it came out of asking a simple question one night. What more can I do to be a better spouse? Sometimes it's about being a better dad. Sometimes it's about being another, a, a better leader in my faith, a better example in my organization. 
better in my health, better in my charitable giving. But what more can I do to make a greater influence through the days that I have? And so that question's all around brainstorming and ideation and creativity and tracking the day and making it better for tomorrow. Okay, John, I, I can't reach it unless I take my earphones out. I was going to show it to you. I started the journal for my wife. Yeah, okay? I'm so excited. Yeah, I did one. I did an entry today. I keep it right in the top of my uh, backpack where I take my take a laptop back and forth. Uh, and I started that. I want to ask you about the we're going to veer a little bit around habits is, is my muse, but I'm not going to miss some valuable rabbit trails. When you say what more can I do um, speak to that or I want your thoughts because I'm sure you know people and you may have been that people at some point where you feel like, oh, my gosh, I don't need to hear what more can I do? I am pouring out. I am doing so much. And I find people who get frazzled in that. And then they're trying to find a, a justification to chill out and, and really probably get some self-care, which is, is OK. So we're talking about a guilt issue here because I like that. What more can I do though? I just know that there's people that are going to hear that, that are going to go seriously. What more can I do? Cause they're all, they're consistently on themselves. You know, the high performers, high achievers to always do more. And sometimes that gets tiring. If we don't have some peace and contentment with who we are today, how we are, you know, you know, the, the arena that I'm talking in, but go ahead, reconcile that a little bit for the folks that are hearing what more can I do? And it feels a little heavy. So there's this idea that nothing would be worse than to become successful at things in life that do not matter. And that it's a really important thing for us high achievers to hear that quote and let it let it really deeply sear us. Because nothing, honestly, man, nothing is worse than racing so fast up a ladder only to recognize at the end of the days you had the thing leaned against the wrong wall. And so that question sometimes is about how can I make more money? How can I make more sales? How can I go 3X next year? And that's great, man. I love achieving things too. That's really perfect. So for those of us who feel the need to do that right now, and maybe it's a season where you need to do that and it's healthy to be doing that, then we should be asking the question around a growth focus. Other times it's about relationships, ones that you know have gone sideways, maybe frequently in your family, frequently those closest and nearest to us. You and I talked about our spouses recently, this idea of reinventing ourselves to be better spouses for those that we want to serve most effectively going forward. So sometimes that's where that question is. But other times it's only about you. It is about racing away from the treadmill and slowing down to the things that actually matter. It's about taking inventory and taking pause what's happening in your health what's happening in your personal finances, what's happening as you sprint through life. And so I, I do think it's really important that we understand this question can be externally oriented where you're talking about growth. But other times, as you said, in the way you asked the question, it's about slowing down. It's about breathing. It's about sleeping in. It's about, you know, really uh, deciding not to pursue the next step that you thought was going to lead you to success because you're starting to reimagine what you think success ultimately might mean. Okay. I like that. Cause you reminded me of my dear friend, Randy James talking about, and, and he's like me, possibly like you and a lot of, a lot of folks listening who are very production minded and his concept that he reminds us of often is we need to do the hard work of relaxation. Because it's hard to slow down. Uh, and you mentioned seasons and cycles. I, I have grown to appreciate that. And like you, witness so many successful people. Um, they don't always go, go, go every single day. And I found that having 
peace with, you know, you got a book deal or, or a book coming up, man, you're putting in some longer hours as a cycle, a season, but then it's going to end and let it end and have some rest. Um, I do want to, t- okay. yes, please. I have a friend who I work with, one of the, the coaches in our organization, and, and he always has this thing like slow down and, and don't miss what's in front of you. Don't miss what's in front of you. Don't miss what's in front of you. And so I was talking to him about my little boy, Patrick, about to turn 13. And Leary, don't miss what's in front of you. Do the next best thing for him. And Patrick loves basketball. He just loves basketball. He, he believes he's going to be the next NBA point guard. I'm not so convinced, man. He's got the O'Leary genes flowing through his body, but you never know, man. Miracles happen. So last week, rather than racing through work, I took the majority of a day off when he was at school and painted the key and the three-point arc in our backyard. So it's, in quotes, disfiguring our driveway. It's taking me away from the work I should be doing. It's getting me away from achieving greater success organizationally and financially. And in answering, asking the question and answering it, what more can I do? I realized on that day, it's about slowing down and taking a day for myself, but taking a day to reinvest that time into one of my little ones. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. So it's something I think we all need to hear from time to time from a friend. Sometimes the reflection in the mirror. Don't miss what's important. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm grateful to have my wife often call me to that. And I've got an older son who is prone to you know sit there and eat his breakfast alone and just just looking out the window or whatnot. And I would have been the one. No, I have been the one in the past to say, oh, my gosh, man, don't how can you just sit there? Do something. You, you could be reading right now. You could be whatever. And I don't know if it came from us, if we heard it somewhere, but through dealing with or, or, or you know, my witnessing of him, we got the concept of don't don't just do something. Sit there. And man, that I can't even say it. You can't even, I can't even get it out well because it's yes. so antithetical to my wiring. But I'm learning, John. Well, uh, it's called Sabbath, and yeah. we need that weekly. We need to bake in vacation periods throughout our, our, our months and our years. But even throughout our days, man, you got to pause to truly do effective work long term. You got to have little baby Sabbath built in throughout your days, even. I think your son's onto something. You are listening to The Ziggler Show and this Habits episode with John O'Leary. Next, I ask John what Sabbath looks like to him. And I'll give away one thing. He starts with how he keeps his phone as a non-priority. Sounds small, but who do you know who is present and not ever distracted by their phone? Uh, We'll start right back up after I share some great products and services with you. So let me ask you about that. Just as far as the aspect of habits and routines, how do you or do you habitually Sabbath and what's that look like? So I'm going to come I'll, I'll back into this by first letting you know, I've, I've not heard my phone ring in a couple of years. I don't want to be like in decades. That's a little excessive. But for a couple of years, I've had my phone on vibrate mm-hmm. and usually not even on my my, my body. And because I found myself as most uh, high achievers and most uh, ADHD ladies and gentlemen leaders in the marketplace responding immediately to every pull on my time. And one of the most effective things that I've done for my family, for my leadership, for my business and my mental health is to no longer be at the back and call of my phone. And so one way I have achieved Sabbath is when I'm at home, I'm at home. When I work, man, I work like a dog. I'm here right now. But when I'm at home, I'm not on social media. I'm not on email. I'm, I'm not trying to strategize for the next day until my kids are in bed. I want to be fully engaged in their lives. And so that's 
it's one thing we've done strategically to live out that idea of Sabbath. So what, do, what does that look like tactically? Well, if you're not working when you're home, it actually means you're present with your little ones. In my case, I have four kids. And so when my little daughter says, hey, dad, you want to have tea time? Yeah. When Patrick says, hey, daddy, you want, you want to shoot baskets? Absolutely, man. When Henry says, do you want to go on a bike ride? Dude, yes, yes. Dad, you want to kick the soccer ball, says Jack. Come on, man, I'm in. It makes you liberated to be free to be with the ones that matter most. And so I just encourage folks, man, really do diligently work hard, really plan your day and then work that day. And when you're home, uh, step away from technology. You will be far healthier and happier because of it. Yeah. Yes. Speak shooting baskets. I do want people to realize that you're shooting baskets and you do not have any fingers. Like, <laughs> you get extra credit, obviously. Not, not only that, I will challenge any of your listeners right now. When I'm in your community someday, I shoot underhand balancing the ball on my knuckles. Wow. I will challenge you to a game of horse and uh, we'll, 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 you know, I don't know what we'll play for. We'll, we'll put some small bet on the side to see who's going to knock this one down. But okay. I'll, I'll take you a bottle of wine. You're on bottle of wine, and- red wine. But my mom and dad, as, as great leaders, taught me as a little boy, there's nothing you can't do. Yeah. There's just nothing you can't do. And so they removed that ceiling from my life. They also reminded me, and it would it will not be easy to get there. This is I'm not going to lay it out for you, John. There's nothing you can't do, but you got to go, man. You got to go. And so I do a lot of things today that are pretty radical, like shooting the basket underhand on my knuckles and doing it pretty effectively. But I think I do that not only because they've removed my excuses, but because they gave me a gentle kick in the rear end saying, you can do this. Yeah, um, I am. I, I, I thought of it a little bit ago, and it's something that I wanted to cover in the first show together. And I, I think I just let it slip. And it's a rabbit trail again, but I'm going to take it. And it's relevant as we're talking about your your hands and fingers or, or lack thereof. Um Something that I read in your book, and I think I had read it in the first, I don't know if you had it in the first one, you can, you can tell me, but that just stuck with me. And it was, it was, uh, I think a hot point for me because I, I love the story that Zig Ziglar talks about a guy whose name I can't recall. I did it. I've talked about him in a show. Uh, it was a guy uh, who was pronounced a dunce in school and told he was you know delayed and whatever. And so he lived his life that way. And I'm drastically paraphrasing and at the age of whatever, you know, 25 or something happens to take this test and they come back and go, Oh my gosh, you're not only smart. You're, you're literally a genius. Uh, it's, you know, high IQ of one, you know, 40, 50. I don't know what it was. The guy went on to and the guy from that day, day forward started living as a smart guy. Nothing changed. He's the same dude. He was just going by what he had been. He had been told. And I think the story is he founded the Mensa society. Mm. If not, it's a good story, uh, but it's something to that. Oh, I'm going to share it tonight at the dinner, at the dinner table. I can, give you, I can give you the details. I put, I put it in a show, and if you, if you look up you know, Zig Ziglar Dunce or something like that, you'll probably find it. Um, you'll find the details. Okay, but with that, in this, I think it was your, your, your recent book, In Awe, read about the doctor that you went to as a nine-year-old you know, after the accident who said if he were a horse— I would shoot, shoot him. I mean, it almost chokes me up just to say that. I mean, it's just, just I, I cannot, I cannot imagine, but yes. that was given to you. If, if he was a horse, I would shoot him. That was given to you in front of your face, in front of your parents by a doctor. So by somebody that we would give authority, credibility, uh, value, yada, yada. And then I don't know how much later you can, you can tell me you went to another doctor. Well, and tell us what he said. 
Yeah. I mean, just to back it up a moment ago, because some of your listeners may not know, but I got burned when I was nine and spent months in the hospital really should not be alive. I think through the miracle of, of work and grace and a whole lot of people showing up, this little guy goes on to survive, spends about a year recovering. And then mom and dad take me to a doctor. And to your first point, the doctor took a look at my hands. He took a look at my body. He took a look at the little wheelchair that I was seated in back then. And then he looked at my dad and said, listen, if your son was a horse, I would shoot him. And so that, that was crushing. That was in my own world, far worse than even being called a dent. Oh, it's, di- it, it's diabolical. Uh, it's, yeah. And he, he said it not only smugly, but sincerely, just like th- there's no, no really meaningful life here. So about a week later, we go to another physician's office. His name was Dr. Carlos Papalardo. What I remember, Kev, about this guy most is he walked into the room. He had a file in front of him, and he was singing in Italian. Hmm. So, like, I, I barely have a grasp, as your listeners now know, of English. He's singing in Italian, yeah. sits down, shuts the file. He claps his hands loud at the desk and says, my goodness, what luck is this? Has it come to pass that today is the day I get to meet the miracle boy himself, John O'Leary? Has it come to pass? And with that, he claps his hands again. He grabs the file. He opens it back up, covers his face, walks out of that room. And my mom and dad are like, we're looking at each other like, what was this? Then he opens up the door, looks directly at me, not at my mom and dad, looks directly at me and says, oh, my, were you here the entire time? And I'm 10 years old at that time. So, I took the, you know, the, the hook is completely now in my, in my mouth. and I'm taking the bait all the way to the, the finish line. And he goes, I am so embarrassed. My name is Carlos Papalardo. And then he says, may I shake your hand? The other guy had never even you know, introduced himself to me. He shakes my hand firmly, says it's an honor. At the end of this hour consult, my dad says, Doc, what do you think? And so you remember the last diagnosis. Yeah. If he was a horse, I'd shoot him. So we're waiting. We don't know what the diagnosis is. And my doctor friend, Carlos Papalaro, looks at my dad, then looks at me, looks at my hands, looks up at me and says, Denny, that's my dad's name, your son, his hands are as beautiful as an Italian sunset. You can imagine which physician we chose to work with. We had four operations with Dr. Carlos Papalardo. He was, he was able to cut, cut into the webbing of my hands, provide little fingers where there were none originally. I have the ability today, Kevin, not only to shoot baskets on my knuckles, but to write and type and hold a mug and type you know, on the computer and everything else through this guy's incredible work. But far more than his work, it's that ability to see beauty where others see death. And, and now if we pull this thing through into society today, I'm not trying to make this a societal point, but I will. We have politicians on both sides of the aisle. We have a media pervasively. We have neighbors on every side of the street who are telling us that our world is ugly, that there's no reason for hope, that it's never been worse than these days. There's a whole lot of people saying that there's a horse that ought to be shot. Yeah. We need, and not like we want, no, no, no. We need, we need leaders to step in and say, my gosh, it is not perfect. And it will not be this side of eternity. But the foundation is firm. The best is in front of us. It's time to roll up our sleeves together, lock arms and do this thing. And it's as beautiful as an Italian sunset. It's a perspective issue. I love it. And I'm happy to talk about the culture because I have witnessed so many people. and We all know that, um, but I think we're not grasping 
the choice of it. We think that, okay, this came along and it wrecked all these people out of jobs, out of work, lower income, yada, yada. These people, it helped. Hey, if you sell masks, you know, you're, you're raking in and it's just circumstantial. I mean, I've seen so many people with so many businesses to realize that the majority of it is just what they did with it. Those who took it and said, oh my gosh, we are wrecked. They're wrecked. And the other ones who said, well, what are we going to figure out? What, how, how can we paint a sunset with this one? And they've gone, as you and I talked about, I don't know if it was online or offline, but talked about, you know, they pivoted and they're doing, some of them are doing far better than they were to begin with. Some are doing, well, you talked about it in the show. You're about 60% of where your business is, but that's better than 10% or, or no percent. And it was that, but coming back to the analogy or, or not the analogy that the reality that you did, I mean, we know how you were 10 years old, how dramatic it is today. Today, I'm, I'm 49 and I can still be impacted by if somebody came along and said, man, I've been listening to your shows. Look, look at all you do. I think it's complete crap. I think you're full of yourself. I think you're, I can't, I can't not, I think I would, I can't not have that impact me a little bit and vice versa. If I get a call and they say, oh my gosh, man, you know, Oprah's a peon next to you, man. You, you got the stuff. It matters. I mean, it just does. And so for you to be given that in a span of a week, did you say? Yeah, a week. You could have gone either way. I mean, you could have gone either way because people are going to hear that and go, okay, well, you were saved by the latter doctor. I mean, you, you could have reversed the roles, I guess, and had that. But either way, you got to choose which one you went with. And I don't know if you look back then and say you did make a choice or that latter doctor did help you. I don't know. How, how did you grapple with that? You know. So I think it's a microcosm, a beautiful story that illustrates a life journey for all of us. Sure. It's a, it's a pretty powerful thing. You know, when you hear about it, one doc saying, I, I, I shoot the horse and the other one saying it's as beautiful as the Italian sunsets I used to watch growing up in Italy. Like but both of it's a beautiful story that illustrates what is possible in each of our lives. It's a true story in my case, but I, I think it proves truth in all of our lives. Yeah. And Kevin, I, I think what you're hinting at is, John, at, at age 10, that would have been hard to hear. Kev, I, I think it's harder to hear in your 40s. Hmm. I, I think we were far more resilient, yeah. faithful, tough, huh. bounced forward as kids. I think now that we're stuck in our ways in our mid-40s, the, these things can be the end of the day. So if someone were to say to you, your podcast is lousy, you're full of yourself, Kevin, get, get off the high horse and come on back down to reality. I mean, that could be a death blow. Like that, that, that's the kind of thing that really can jar us away from moving forward in our business, our late lives, our families. And so then the question we ought to be asking is, so how do we return to that resiliency, that faithfulness, that hopefulness, that joyfulness that we once had as children? Yeah. That even a doctor who said, I'd put a bullet in you, even that didn't ruin my day. I remember kind of laughing about it. I wasn't happy about it, but I remember thinking, what, are the, what a jerk. But it didn't bother me. And I remember because it was a seven hour drive from my house where that doctor lived. My mom and dad cried the, mo the majority of the way home. I never understood that. Not until I became a dad myself. Wow. I never understood why would they let some stupid doctor ruin their, their day? Man, I'm 10. I, mean, I wonder if the baseball game's on tonight. I hope it is. Like, that's my mentality. It's called living in the moment. We, we let some commenter on our podcast ruin our lives. That's our adult mindset. And so we got to return to this, this raw, ferocious optimism that we had as children and can step back into as adults. Well, which is the focus of your new book, In Awe, folks. And if you didn't hear the first uh, show, which will be uh, the two before this one, uh, and talking about those childlike 
qualities. I taught, I did, I did exactly what I said I'd do after we did the first show together. And I went home and talked to my family about it. And it's been on my mind as I've seen my kids and to see my little ones who are so proud of all that they do and to see my older ones, they were, that was where it was great to talk with and say, see guys, you know, that there's this coming of age, this coming of awareness and you start to minimize, start to diminish. So now you're aware, don't let that happen. Uh, it was great. It was again, just so, so powerful. Okay. I do want to come back to a couple habits and I do appreciate you talking about the phone, man. I, I carry my phone everywhere, mainly because I play music on it. This is my music source. I'm never without music. If I'm in my office, I'm listening on my, you know, through my speakers and stuff. But when I get home, what's that? The guy today, who are you listening to? Today I was listening to, um, man, I can tell you, cause I, I did something different. I did this easy bike ride and I put on, and I listened to a new group called rise, um, that I just found through a station. And then Josh Garrels, um, rise is not totally, I mean, it's kind of fun music, but it's not the mo- it's not, I wouldn't say it's safe for the whole family. Uh, then I listened to Josh Garrels, uh, who is a, I, I do not know the dude, but uh, somebody got me on one of his songs. I started listening and he's a Christian guy who apparently doesn't want to be associated with being a Christian guy. Uh, I heard the story, do not know if it's true, but it's interesting that he was nominated for a dove award. That's, which is the Christian musical or Christian, I guess, music, I think it's music. And he didn't want to do it cause he didn't want to be lumped in with that. But the guy just has some good, some good tunes. So that's what I was listening to. Then I have a playlist. My Spotify playlist is kind of the family. My kids, it's one of the high points of being a dad is my kids say that my playlist is the best of any that they have. They dig my music. And so when I get home, it goes into the speaker because I start cooking and we got music and it's my phone. So it's the, it's the music player. So I, I'm not on it at all, but you know, I do have, I, I don't do phone calls um, or I don't take phone calls unless they're scheduled or it's my family and I can see them on my contacts list. Otherwise, I just don't answer them. Everybody knows to text me and then I can respond when it's convenient for me. So yeah, my kids have no, nobody I know. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this with, with gratitude and pride. I'll admit it that I'm not the guy that ever looks at his phone unless every once in a while I'll do a lunch with somebody. I'll say, man, I am so sorry, but my wife is down in the Springs. I do have you know, six, seven, whatever kids here at various places. And I'm kind of on call. <laughs> so I am going to leave it there. And if you see me peer over it, it's just to make sure nobody broke up because I did it once, John, I, I did the, the, the nice thing at lunch and I put it away as so I'm not going to look at it. And it was literally that thing. My wife was, she, she works a couple of days a week and she was out of commission. And, uh, and then I, when I finally picked it back up, it'd been like 35 minutes. They were trying to get me from school. One of my kids broke their arm. So I got, that was my, that was my call to arms to at least look at it. You know, 10 years ago on December 7th, I had a, a client's lunch and uh, phone was off, looked down about halfway through, had 13 missed calls from my wife oh. and uh, her water broke it. Oh, goodness. So, uh, yeah. Sometimes you got to keep your phone on. <laughs> yeah. Just, Go just for that. Yeah. Um, so habits again, I do want to hit on, uh, I love the trails we've gone down, but again, just some of those primary habits you talked about the morning, you talked about that thing. But when we look uh, at like the Ziggler wheel of life, we look at, uh, you know, work and relationships and your physical wellness. Let me hit that. We talked about it a little bit in the first, uh, show. Uh, I think you, you're a fan of walks. Is that right? Yeah. Did we talk about that? What, what are some of the, if you looked at the habits and routines that you value for your health and wellness, give me the highlights. 
And, and let me be wildly transparent that on that wheel that Ziegler introduced me to, my weakest area is health. Hmm. And as um, a guy, I can make all kinds of excuses. I can talk about scars and physical pain. And like my, my uh, I'm 43, but the journey to where I am today has aged me a little bit, man. So I've, I've been through some physical challenges, both looking backward, but also even in the present. So I, uh, I'm in a little bit of pain every single day. I wish, which is a lame word sometimes, I wish I was a little bit more intentional in my physical health. I'll share with you my practice here, but I'm going to tell you again, I wish I was even more intentional on this. Uh, the things that I do that are beneficial, number one is I watch what I put into my body. So I used to be an addict probably to alcohol, although I did not know it when I was, but I, for more than a decade, man, I w- overserved myself way, way, way too frequently. And now for the most part, I want to allow myself to, to have more than one drink at night. So that's one area that I've made some improvements. Soda. And I, I wait, I heard to, you, I did hear you mention red wine. Is that your go-to? I do love, you know, not every night, but I will have a glass of red wine, man. I love wine. I do too. I do too. But now I, I think, Kevin, if I'm just being totally honest, man, I used to love it. One, to disappear like into the moment, like just kind of forget about everything which is not a super great reason to have a glass of wine or two or three or four. Uh, now when I have a glass of wine, it's to really celebrate a moment. Yeah. It's to enjoy a taste of something. It's to celebrate something with my wife or a friend. It's not just because, well, that's what you do when you're out with friends on the weekend. You just, you just drink and drink. And then, and then when you're done with that one, you go to the next one. So that, that's no longer how I participate in, in my social life. And that's actually been very healthy for me. We mentioned soda a moment ago. I, I used to, not drink water. I used to just go from soda to soda to soda all day long. And I used to work construction of all things. Uh, I don't drink soda anymore. I drink a coffee in the morning and then water throughout the day. I'm I'm more mindful of what I put into my body via food, right? So I don't eat a whole lot of fried food, if at all. Um, When when it's an option, I'll try to do totally like a veggie type lunch or dinner. I find that what you put into your body is going to influence your performance throughout the day. And so just stuff like this. And then finally, you mentioned, John, I, I remember from our first conversation, you do walks like that's right. So my body takes a while to warm up throughout the day. But near the end of the day is when I'm probably at, at peak performance. So when I get home from the office, Beth and I will either uh, do the dishes together or before we make dinner, we'll take a walk together a couple times around the block. And it's it's good on so many levels, spiritually, relationally as a, as a spouse and then physically just to stretch, to move, to sweat a little bit. And so uh, that's part of my habits throughout the day. Yeah. Hey, and I want people to hear that too, because we often have these great attributes, you know, habits, routines set out before us. And we think I got to do it that way. And, uh, you know, Robin Sharma had him on and I I really appreciate him. He's really big on exercise. I think within like the first 20 minutes, I I don't. um, And I often will wait, especially here in Colorado, I'll wait till it gets warmer. So I'm often nine, 10 o'clock, but I'll go through seasons of waking up and I'll be working out in my, in my home gym, lifting weights at six or whatever. And here you are talking about doing it at night. I've got a daughter and she's kind of a four or five o'clock and she goes up into the, uh, into our workout room and she does her routine. And I'm thinking, man, whatever works for you. I mean, you've obviously done well doing it that way. So I want people to hear whatever works. The point is, yeah, do some movement every day, but 
but whenever you do it, don't take one person's dictate because uh, people will, you know that they get excited about what works for them and they want to espouse it to everybody else. I've done it. I admit it. Um, find what works for you. Uh, yeah, I can, here's mine. I did mine at 1030. I got here just in time to have some lunch. And so I'm, I'm fitness fresh as one of our nutritionists says, uh, right now from my exercise, exercise habit. Tell me about relationships, John, you've got four kids all at home. Well, I, I asked last time, but I forgot what's the old, what, what's the age range? Youngest, oldest? 14, 12, 10 and eight. 14, okay. 12, 10 and eight. Four kids. So your home is, is full. Um, granted you get a lot of time with them. What are some of the relational habits that you put in place with kids, with wife, whatever, to keep those relationships where you want them? So I'm going to go back to pre-COVID because that's where we eventually will return to a new, when the new normal returns. Yeah. God willing, in early 2021. But Beth and I take one date night a week. So that's very helpful and healthy for us as a couple to see each other face to face. No distractions, no phones, no kids, no work. So we have a date night at least once a week. We take a date, uh, a couple's trip four times a year, which uh, sounds excessive, I would imagine, to many of your listeners. But for a guy who travels a lot, it works right into our wheelhouse where we can use miles, we can use hotel points. It, it's free. And we get to go to paradise together for a couple of days to reconnect. I get a little bit of work done, but primarily my work is to uh, fall back in love with my wife. So those are cool things she and I do together. We walk every night together around the block a couple of times. We have a family dinner. So this is all the, the Beth and John stuff. And then the final thing we do together uh, without getting overly intimate is we go to bed every single night together at the same time. And there was a time in our marriage where I prided myself on being the hardest worker in the world, man. I would stay up until two in the morning, get up again at five and just, man, I was going to prove myself to the world. That's fine. But I, I have recognized as I've aged a bit that uh, the most important relationship should not be with the one at my office. It ought to be with the one that I am lucky enough to call my wife. And hopefully she feels lucky enough to call her husband. Yeah. And so I've committed to go in bed, go into bed next to her every night. That also, because she goes to bed about 1030, that allows me to get up at about five or 530 and uh, feel highly refreshed. So that's yeah. on the best side with the kids. I take one kid on one, we call it a daddy trip every year. So they get to look at my calendar and pick where they want to go. They get to book the hotel. They get to book every single activity we do while we're there. And my job is to say yes to them. That's not to spoil them. It's to liberate them to, <laughs> to decide the path they want to go on this weekend with their dad. So whether it's a water park or it's just uh, dad, that's rent rooms. Let's have room service and watch a movie together. Whatever they want to do, I want to say yes. I want them to be the star. So uh, it's a really cool time for a dad to connect with his four kids. So I've really enjoyed the the dad trips, and then daily. I'm highly intentional that I want to spend some one-to-one -one time with each kid. I read years ago, Kevin, that the average eye contact a child receives from their parents is less than eight seconds per day. Holy smokes. That's, you might be thinking that's nonsense. <laughs> I, I really challenge you as a parent, if you, if you have kids still at home right now, ask yourself if it really is nonsense in your life. When you think about the pace that your life is lived and the sprint that they are under, the sports activity, all the things we do, how often are you belly to belly looking square into their eyes and they, as it importantly, looking into yours? So I want to make sure every single day we spend a, a focused amount of time where I'm looking into their hearts and they're looking right back into mine. Well, goodness, with that stat, you'd be a rock star to spend one full minute, 60 seconds eye to eye uh, in comparison. I, had, I did not know that. That's 
That's daunting. Um, that's horrific. I want to ask you because, uh, you know, date night once per week, people hear that. And what I have found is when people hear that and think, okay, I need to, I need to start doing that. They often struggle with, what do we do? What do we, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, you know, what do you guys do? Cause you know, the consummate thing is, well, we go to dinner and a movie and you know, what do, what do you guys do on that date night? Yeah. So we, we seldom go to movies. Beth loves movies. So occasionally I'll take her for her. I always find that, uh, you know, movies are great. So I try to knock those who love movies when I'm with her. I want to talk to her, man. I want to hear, her. I want to see her face. I just want to really be present with her. So sometimes we'll do the movie thing. Generally though, it's going to be a, a dinner somewhere. It's going to be, man, I consider a date hopping in the same vehicle, driving to a place that is sold out, recognizing, well, that's not going to work. And then driving home. Like that can be a phenomenal date. Mm-hmm. Just time together as a couple when you're talking about life. So try not to overthink it. If, however, you're in a place in your relationship where you're struggling, one thing that some of my friends who do a little bit of marriage counseling suggest is that you plan the date for your significant other. Plan. Don't tell them what you're doing. Just plan it. Make it as fun as if you were courting them again. When you uh, surprise them with flowers when they got into the automobile, when you surprise them, but you know they love Italian, but you haven't had Italian in six months because you've been busy and there's too many carbs and you don't want to gain you know weight over the weekend. Fine. But you know, he or she loves Italian. Surprise them with that reservation from the very first date that you had together at that place. Just be a little bit more romantic. And the amazing thing is that what you focus on grows. So in in trying to be a little bit more of something, you'll find yourself connecting more deeply with a person that, that maybe ultimately we should have been more romantically and intimately involved with in the first place. We, we sometimes let these things go stagnant and stagnation over time leads to death. We, I, you, your statement, I'm going to send it to my wife after this because she will, uh, she has said it in so many ways, though, though not as concisely, I guess, uh, taking time to fall back in love with my, you said wife, but with my spouse, you say you take a couple's trip, for a couple, you mean with other couples or just the two of you? Uh, just the two of us. Okay, that's, I figured you did, but I wanted to clarify. Uh, we do as well. We do uh, usually one or two big ones, you know, to the Mexico all-inclusive resort or whatever. But then we'll do an Airbnb or my wife does. You talked about the point. She does the Hyatt thing. So we'll go to the Hyatt five-star awesome. whatever deal and uh, and hang out there. And that's it. She'll, she'll say that. My kids... Let me, let me testify to this. I've got older kids um, and, and some of my listeners have heard this, though I don't know all of them, but to, and I won't go too deep into it, but my kids, there was one point where my wife and I were, it was tension between us at the home. And one of my kids said, you guys need to go away together. You're better when you do and mm-hmm. talk about, you know, convicting, but I love that to fall, taking time to fall back in love. I lo- I, I just appreciate your testimony of that because I always, I mean, do I always love my wife? Yes. She has my commitment. She has my devotion. Do I always like my wife? No. And, <laughs> and, and, and do I have that feeling of in love with her all the time? No. But man, when we do those getaways, especially because we'll go for, I mean, three days is an absolute minimum, but a lot of times we're at five or seven days on that. And we do, man, it's a different world than being home, being co-parents and partners and all that. So falling back in love with your wife, thank you for putting it out there. I will send that to her because we're actually do one. So, uh, okay. okay. And a couple of little bullets just to please, add to that. Please. I don't have the, the Hyatt five star points or the, uh, the, the other points that we might sometimes use. Man, send the kids to grandma and grandpa's for the day or the weekend. 
it can be in your own backyard. It can be in your own bedroom. You don't necessarily need to go to Mexico and drop $6,000. So the point there, Kevin, is like there ought to be no excuses. Mm -hmm. There's a neighbor. There's an uncle. There's an aunt. There's a loved one who can take the kids if you have kids. Take the animals if you have animals. And take the excuses that are keeping you from doing life in a really intimate, romantic way where you can look at this other person and say, man, I still do. I made that commitment six years ago, 16 years ago, 36 years years ago, and I still mean it. I still do. Because sometimes then that, that, that wake that you come out of those weekends with can allow you to get through some of the grind that uh, that normal life frequently does indeed produce. That makes it hard Th- to like. Yeah. Thank you for putting it out there. And, and, and appreciate you saying that too, that doesn't have to be the, the four star or the five star resort or whatever. We have done that uh, with not only getting a couple's getaway, but giving each other getaways. And it's kind of be a bit of a habit amongst friends that if somebody's leaving town, their house is empty. Does anybody yeah. want to use it? Uh, so, you know, individually uh, for a getaway from everything or for a couple's thing. And that costs absolutely nothing. I probably do that once a quarter. I'll end up and I'll just hang out at somebody's house for a couple nights because they're gone. And that's cheap, uh, cheap yeah. and easy. Well, this I, I don't know if we can get any more value out of this show, but I will ask, you know, when you look at the Ziggler Wheel of Life, are there any other primary habits and routines that you are very consistent on that you would say these are, you know, these are top of the list of value that I don't let these go ever or, or very, very seldom do I skip these? Just on the spiritual aspect, for me, my life is organized or literally organized around my faith. And I find that what we what we calendarize, we somehow have time for yeah. whatever that thing is. And so on a financial perspective, we put out there that we're going to give money monthly to our charity. And in a year of recession, when the income is down far more than what we expected, we're still living into that expectation that we laid out in January one It's a commitment to us. It's what we consider an expectation from God. He's given us so much. And so the least we can do is give a bit of that back. And so for us, that's really important to, to plan that. So that's part of what our, um, our habits are. We give intentionally. We also go to church intentionally. I have a lot of friends who go when it's, when it's, you know, when there's time, what I find is I, I never have time. I'm an extraordinarily busy guy and I'm, I'm gracing that way and that way. So I would never, ever, ever go. Why would I, I got a lot of things to do. So rather than making it around time, I make it around the calendar. So it is the first commitment we have to make it to church every week. Uh, when the churches have been shut down due to COVID-19, as a family, we gather around a, a 36-inch television screen. We try to get the kids to sit still for 45 minutes to an hour, right. and we go to church at home. So we're still doing this thing, even though, in quotes, we don't have time, or even though, in quotes, well, COVID shut it down. So for us, growing spiritually is critically important. And that's a weekly thing. It's a, an annual thing. It's a financial thing. It's a before dinner thing. It's a morning prayer ritual. It's before you go to bed thing. It's a mission statement for life. My mission statement, Kevin, the reason that I work as hard as I do, the reason I choose to be on your podcast, God demands it. My family deserves it. The world is start for it. Yeah. Let's roll. No excuses. That's my mission statement, but it begins with God. And so the, the habit that kind of, um, organizes everything else that I do is based on my belief in God. And, and, uh, I believe his belief in me. The, that I believe in his belief. We, I have come to, it was actually, again, my, my dear friend and business partner, Randy, who at one point said, you know what? I'm going to believe the Jesus in you. I'm going to trust the Jesus in you. That's a phrase that we've said over. It's such a, 
a jolt of, of good expectation within each other to do that. And what you said there reminded me of it. All right. I got one more spot though. I do want to ask about, and this is one that I have grown. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little more enamored with it every day. <laughs> and there's some reasons behind that, but it's an, it's a just of interest to me as I view people out there who are achieving good things. What I, you know, things that I value is the personal spoke, the things that you do just for John and I've often said, tried to couch those in the things you do that are fun or, or play, even though I admittedly sometimes struggle with ever doing things that to me are fun or play. I don't even resonate with that. You know, I, I'm going to produce something, but, um, hobbies is another, you know, fun play hobby, something that you invest in or just self-care, How, however that speaks to you, but the things that you do to make John be the fullest John he can be. Matt, so. I think we've been hinting at it the entire time. So I'm going to echo a little bit of what we've said in some regards. I feel as if watching that sunrise is only for me. I may do more at work because of that. I may live longer years. There's a lot of research around gratitude leading directly to longevity, believe it or not. So, uh, although it might help me live longer, I cannot tell you how filled I get when I watch a sunrise and when light for the very first time hits my face in the morning. Like it's to me, like I have goosebumps right now as you and I are talking. Blows me away, man. Uh, being with my kids, it, yeah, it's for them, I guess. But man, I feel pretty selfish when I'm out there shooting baskets. I feel pretty selfish when I hear uh, him say, change, dad, or splash when he makes a three pointer and I get to kick him back the ball and he gets to shoot again. I feel like that's for me. Hmm. When I'm braiding a little girl's hair, when she's saying to me, watch me do the somersault, yes, I'm doing it all for her, I guess. But man, I feel awful selfish when I'm in that moment, even when I'm going back, going to bed at the end of the day next to my wife, who I'm still pretty wild about, even today, 16 and a half years in, to uh, roll over a kiss her goodnight and, and look at this girl that I think is prettier now than she was when I said I do 16 and a half years ago. I guess I'm saying goodnight to her for her, but it's, again, it's a selfish motive in some regard. So my personal spoke is filled by being present to those around me. Yeah. I appreciate that about your wife. I always feel like I, I kind of always desired a cougar. Well, now that my wife's 50, I got one, you know, <laughs> I'm, it's gets better all the time. I I'm achieving that goal and I, and I, I got to stay with the same woman. It's just the best of all worlds. That's uh, awesome. So I appreciate your testimony, man. Thank you for the behind the scenes for sharing. I love the, uh, the rabbit trails we got on. Those might be right there worth the price of admission, but just, man, just a gift to share with you. I could have these conversations, uh, constantly with you. Yeah. Maybe we should have a zoom coffee every week uh, or something, man. Just thank you, John. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for uh, putting your heart out there and letting us all benefit. And, and to all my friends who feels that man, I'll never do whatever these guys are doing on these podcasts week after week. I just think it's about progression. Yeah. So when you uh, drink again, when you overeat again, when you sleep in again, when you say something you regret again, all this mm -hmm. stuff that we do as human beings all the time, I think you got to offer yourself a little bit of grace to learn the lesson, lick the wound, and then do a little bit better thereafter. So uh, don't let your mistakes be the end of the journey. Let them be utilized to not only shower grace into your own life, but to offer to a community that is desperate for it. So it can actually be the birth of empathy in your own life to connect to those around you. Perfect anchor for the show, brother. Thank you, John. Just a pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. 
Well, friends, I am enamored with that issue of has somebody devalued you? How did it affect you? And I want that childlike quality to just let it roll off my back like John did at nine when that first doctor gave such a horrific prognosis. Again, you can get John's new book, In Awe, Rediscover Your Childlike Wonder to Unleash Inspiration, Meaning, and Joy wherever you buy books and connect with all John has for you at johnolearyinspires.com. Coming up in episode 818, coaches, consultants, and counselors, the most challenging part of your business. What is it? How many of you are incredible with helping people, clients, but it's other areas of your business where you struggle. So I asked the Ziegler audience just that, coaches, consultants, counselors, what area of your business is the greatest challenge for you? Tom Ziegler and I read through the comments and gave counsel primarily to the business of coaching, consulting, and counseling. Ziegler's in the business of helping grow these kinds of businesses. It's what Tom Ziegler specializes in with his Choose to Win coaching program, which you can see at ZieglerShow.com slash CTW. And you'll hear ads for that running in this show. This, however, is not an ad for that. It's our best counsel to the questions posted by you guys, our listeners, free for the taking. Uh, and a heads up, one of the most popular questions was in regards to marketing and lead generation. So we actually compiled and saved that as the last issue we covered. Well, till then, folks, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 